Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com today. My name is Paul, and joined with us is Dan Mall. Dan has run a design system consultancy named Superfriendly, and now he's working on Design System University coming out to teach designers from all swaths around. He's here today to discuss his Config 2023 talk, Your Next Component. Excited to have you on, Dan. Paul, thank you for having me. Excited to talk about it. Your talk that you gave was, it was almost like a breath of fresh air because I feel like it grounded some concepts that, I, you know, I'm not a designer by trade and you're talking about design systems and their actual efficacy in the real world. And it really sheds a lot of light. So I'm excited to dig into maybe these four ceremonies that you go over in your talk. But before we do that, could you, for folks who are like me, non-designers, are stepping into the first time, what is a design system? Maybe in the more traditional sense, if you go Google it. Yeah, totally. I, it, it should be an easy question, but it's not. And I think that's part of why design systems need people to talk about them and teach them more uh, is because uh, in my work, one of the things that I found is that there are seven different kinds of design systems. And so a lot of times when people even say design system, what they mean and what other people hear are totally different. So a design system in general is like the way that you do something at your company. And that could be the tools we use, the practice that we set up, the products that we make, the rituals that we have, the services that we offer. All of those can be versions of the, you know, the language that we use, the brand language, the visual identity that we use. All of those are versions of design systems. I think one of the things that's emerging is the idea that big enterprise companies have these software products that they've built that has all of that stuff rolled into it. We see those things with Google's material design and Salesforce's lightning design system and IBM's carbon. And so I think if that's what we mean by design system, generally those things are package managed version controlled software products that help a company launch digital interfaces, right? So that's one version of a definition of design system that's somewhat shared, even though people express it a little bit differently. But I think that's the kind of thing that's emerging in our industry is it's a software product that we use to make more software products. What do you think is the disconnect between this version of a design system that we might think about being a software product? Maybe it has a bunch of different colors and buttons and what you might consider ethically or the ethos of a design system. Because in your talk, you hint at it being a more cultural and social construct than this package managed deliverable that we might be familiar with, like with material yeah. UI. I think a lot of the blocker is language. So even when I say it's a package managed version controlled piece of software, there's a bunch of people that are like, I lost you at the first word. You know, I don't know what package managed means. That doesn't apply to my work. If I'm a designer, I don't do anything that's package managed generally. If I'm an engineer, everything that I use is package managed. So already there's a, a discrepancy there in the language that actually articulates how different our tools are and how different our cultures are given our roles, right? And that's just between designers and engineers. And then you fold in everybody else. You talk about writers, you talk about UX people, QA people, content people, like people who do different things using different tools and different, different methodologies, and yet we're expected to share one. There's just so much of a divide right now in the way that people work. So I think that's one of the big speed bumps there in design systems is like, depending on what you say, people go, oh, you must not be talking to me because I don't recognize those words aren't part of my 
day to day. So they must be part of somebody else's day to day. And I think until we all merge in or lean in a little bit closer to that and lean in closer to other people's jobs, I think that disconnect is always going to be there unless we start to think about us using different tools and us using different language and us using different processes that are a bit more shared than, than the ones that we use now. Talking to people, talking to your customers and leaning in, like you mentioned, is it seems to be a very monumental disconnect about it couldn't be just be design systems. You're writing software. Talk to your customers. It's one thing you emphasize in your talk that is I don't want to steal your term of North Star, but it's like one of those ceremonies that seems very important. Um, and we both know that web development, whether it be design, whether it be actually coding a backend, this is changing. JavaScript is changing. Node is changing. The verbiage around this is changing. So maybe you could help wrap some of our minds around uh, this verbiage disconnect. If you could highlight your journey a little bit from, in, in your talk, you mentioned 2014 as like one of those starting points. I don't know if it's you want to go prior, but what was some of the differences that you've seen shift in the field between 2014 and the way you talk to your clients and customers and the conversations happening now. Totally. In 2014, what I was running an agency and we were doing design systems work, but we didn't even call it design systems work because we didn't know that. And also because even if we had used that term, even if we did know that, our clients weren't using that term. So I, I think the idea of a design system has been around since the advent of graphic design, right? So we're talking 100 years at least. But the idea of a design system as a software product is relatively new, I would say, in the last decade or maybe 15 years, something like that. In 2014, we were getting inquiries from clients saying, we're trying to make a style guide that governs the way that we make, I don't even think the word digital product was that popular then either, but the way that we make websites and applications, um, we we're, we need a style guide, a digital style guide, or things like that. And so a, a few years later, I think that's when the term design system became more popular. I think designers and engineers and folks that work in digital products started to to use that that term to describe what we're talking about. And so I think as the industry evolved, the language evolves with it. And so nowadays you can say design system, and I think a lot of people can assume a shorthand there. But again, I don't think we're there yet because there are different kinds of design systems. Someone might say, oh, we're using our design system, and they're talking about the files that they use in Figma. And somebody else might say design system, and they're talking about the code that they wrote manifested in a tool like Storybook. And so because of those things, I think it, it's getting closer to converging. It is converging. It hasn't yet converged. And I think maybe in a couple of years, it will. And I think a lot of that will converge the more that we share. So right now, there's only, I don't know, I can maybe count 10 public big design systems that people can point to and say, oh, that's what a design system is, right? And I'm talking of the material designs and the Shopify Polaris's of the world and things like that. Like 10, there's more than 10 companies out there. There's thousands and tens of thousands. You know, I think a lot of it is tied up and locked up in NDAs and in the proprietary things that companies do. And hopefully we all find a way to share more about those things without, of course, putting our companies and our data and all that stuff at risk. I think the more we talk about that stuff, the more the language will converge. Do you feel like some of uh, this siloing of knowledge about here's what a design system is in my head as a designer and here's how it actually worked in the wild, is contributing to, I think you called it like the graveyard um, in your talk. Yeah, in your talk, you had this slide with a tumbleweed on and you were like, this is where design systems go to die. Uh, could you shed some light on that opinion a little bit and how and like where we get, how 
What are the reasons why we end up in that position? Yeah, so I, I do think that is a contributing factor too. And I call them as two, two versions. One is design system ghost towns, which is we built a design system and yet no one's here. Who, who's around, right? And then tumbleweeds. And then the other version is we built a design system and it just to, it goes past ghost town. It's just a graveyard now, right? It's like everything in there is dead. Nothing will be revived. It's gone and it's done. And I think part of the reason for that is because and I, I saw this with a lot of my clients. I see this with a lot of my students at Design System University and all, and all that stuff is people look at design systems and they go, I think we're supposed to have something like that. So they build what they think they're supposed to have as opposed to what they actually need. So every all of my clients have some version of, we need to build our version of material design. We need to build our version of bootstrap, our version of whatever. And they're looking at something in the distance and going, I think we need to make something like that. And it's not rooted in user needs. It's not rooted in organizational needs or business needs. It's rooted in like, I mean, Material has a bunch of buttons, so we should probably make a bunch of buttons, right? Right. So what they do is they make a bunch of buttons and then they go, huh, nobody used these buttons. It's because you didn't even see, you didn't even check to see if anyone at your organization needed help with buttons. Because at some companies, they don't. And at some companies, they do. So it's not driven by a user need. It's driven by like looking out into the horizon and going, well, it looks like they have that over there. I guess we should build one. And it's this kind of copycat mentality. And that I think leads people to building these facades of design systems and then wondering, like, why isn't anyone using this? And it's because no one actually needed what you built in the first place. And the stuff that they did need, you didn't build. So it's this like double strike against you. And I think that's a lot of what leads to design system ghost towns and design system graveyards. I feel like there's also this component of if somebody came to me with a design system with a bunch of stuff that I didn't need, I would be less apt to listen to the stuff that they did build that maybe I did need. Because I said, listen, like the, the button thing was super complicated, man. Like I'm going to use my buttons and probably everything else you made is complicated. I'm going to pass on that one. Uh, there, there's some component of respect here, listening to the customer. As a customer, you want to be heard and have your biggest challenges fixed, right? Yeah, totally. I, I think I'm a big believer in two things being true at the same time. So I think that in product design, you can always iterate and change and make things better. And at the same time, you don't get your first impression back, right? Like you, you have one chance to make a first impression. I think, I think that's where a lot of design system teams have felt stunted. And that's part of the reason that I wrote this talk that I did is like some design system teams, they do have a first offering and they do end up with the design system graveyard or a go, the design system ghost town, excuse me. And they get really discouraged by that. And so part of the reason that I wrote this talk is that on average, most of my clients that have successful design systems are on try number three or try number four. So it's yes, you missed your first impression. You can't get that back. But you can also, you can make up for it, right? You can also, you can get there. And it's usually around the th the t time number three or, or time number four where they start to go, okay, it didn't work for us to just replicate a bunch of design systems out there. What if we tried a different approach? And a lot of times that different approach is like, what if we just try talking to people about what they want and what they need? Oh, they want us to skip buttons and they want us to go straight for autocomplete? Okay, cool. Let's work on autocomplete. And for a lot of people, it seems like sacrilege a design system with no buttons in it? How dare we do that? But if, if you don't need to make buttons, don't make buttons. If you don't need to make tables, don't make tables. If you do need to make cards, go make those cards. And how do you know whether you do need or you don't need? You know, you talk to your customers. I think that's product design 101. And for some reason, we don't think about design systems as products a lot of times. We, we, we say that, that they are, but I think we think about them more like, well, it's like a project that we do, right? It's a project where we make a bunch of things and then we have those things. Right. And end of project. And it's not that it is a product and good product design starts with 
talking to your customers and seeing what they need so that you can build those things for them. You have this concept that kind of lends a path forward for people to identify how to follow suit of talking to your customer, building what you need. And you called it the North Star and finding the North Star of your, your mission statement. And I'm excited to hop into that. Right before we do, I'm just going to take a second to remind our listeners that this podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. So if you have a system in which you're trying to figure out finding bugs, surfacing errors, and spending less time in your debug console, you can use LogRocket to find errors and identify issues faster so you can spend more time building a great app and less time digging for errors before you even know what they are. So head over to LogRocket.com and try it for free today. So Dan, we wanted to talk about the North Star you have this this topic in your talk about if you want to find what to build for the customer, go look at your mission statement. And you brought up Uber's example. So the example with Uber had to do with building a unique component, building something that was really standout. Could you talk to us how you can, maybe if you don't have a mission statement, how you can identify those components that might make you as a designer stand out and really feel like the customer is being listened to? Yeah, totally. First of all, credit where it's due. North Star is not my term. Plenty of people have used that term before. So I'm borrowing that from lots of different books and resources. I didn't make that up. The second thing is, if you don't have a mission statement, then you should work on that before you work on a design system. Like I think that every team or person or working on a thing needs some orientation. And if there's no orientation, you just end up spinning in circles, right? It's like without that, without knowing where you're going, you can't go on a trip. It's like going, let's just get in the car and drive. Where are we going? Eh, Nowhere in particular. Okay, I mean, we can do that. We can drive, but don't be surprised if we drive in circles, if we make four lefts. So I think we need, I think everyone needs some amount of orientation. And a lot of times for a company, if a design system, one definition that I've heard of design systems that I really comes from Brad Frost and he says, that design system is a store is the story of how a, an organization makes digital interfaces. Okay, so what's part of that story? And I think the story has to be in context of your company's story. So if you are a car manufacturer, you have different needs than if you're a publisher. And I think already that starts to get into that North Star idea. If you're oriented toward reading experiences versus versus tactile experiences, that's a very kind of a very different kind of design system that you need. I tend to look at the company's orientation that I work within the context of to for that information. I don't think that when design system teams say they have their own goals or they have their own mission, that feels odd to me. If like, because to me, a design system is a part of an organization. So it would be like saying, "What are your goals for your ankles?" My ankles don't have goals, but like like my my body overall, like I, I want to lose weight or I want to gain muscle or I want to be stronger. That's my body overall. I'm not sure that I have goals for my ankles other than it, within the context of the goals for, that I have for my body or for my health overall. So I think those orientation points are really helpful because when you get lost, you need to be able to look up at something and go, oh, we're going that way. And, and more importantly, we're not going that way. We're going east, which means we're not going north, south, or west. Right? And so I, I think that those things are important. And usually those things come from an organization larger than just the design system team or the design system people working on that. It comes from what we're trying to do is we're trying to change how the world moves or we're trying to make everyone healthier. Okay, great. Now I have some orientation into what components need to go into my design system to help make the world healthier or help make the world faster or whatever it is that is your company's mission. That's super helpful for me. It's like that single truth to move forward. If you don't have a mission statement, make one. Totally. Get orientation, figure out where you're going, 
the the cardinal direction you're driving in. So let's say we did that. What's next, Dan? Like, what's should I go design the button? Obviously, no. Like, the whole point of the talk is that's a slippery slope. So we have our mission statement. How do we take that knowledge and then what's the next right step? So the next step is, like, you know, let's say we used Uber as an example, right? So Uber's mission statement, I forget off the top of my head, but something to the effect of we help, we improve the way the world moves for the better, something like that. Great. So then the next step is I would go and talk to all of the product teams that potentially would be using this design system that I'm creating and going, okay, so how do they march toward that mission? How, do, how does this feature or this team or this product that, that this team is working on, how does it help the world move for the better? Is it, do they do something innovative with maps? Do they do something innovative with something in the user experience or someone's user journey? And then how can I, as a person making a tool for them, the design system, how can I contribute to what they're doing? How can I make their work faster or better or higher quality or ideally all of those things? So again, back to the customer of a design system is the fellow engineers, product people, designers that would be using that design system. So what is it that they need in order to do their jobs better? So we have to understand their jobs because their jobs are to create some feature or edit some feature or improve some feature that helps the company move forward and helps the company's customers achieve something. So that's the next step is you go and talk to as many of them as you can. And design systems are really tools for scale. So what you're looking for is you're looking for the patterns. You're looking for like, you know, if I talk to 70 teams, what are 60 of them doing the same? What is a good majority doing the same? Because then if I can help them, if I can help one of them that's doing that, then I can help all of them that's doing that. Rather than this one team needs help with, a, with an autocomplete and this other team needs help with our dropdowns and this other team needs help with our form components, you don't know which of those things are working at scale yet. But if you see 10 teams out of 12 are, are, uh, need help with the autocomplete, that's probably a good signal that that's, that might be where you want to spend your time. This to me was a really interesting fine line and hearing you talk about like sifting it out, grabbing what everybody's using, and then figuring out what might be highest impact could really quickly lead to having the button surface as that thing, right? And so where do you draw that line about like, okay, everybody needs a button. I can see that from my user study, but maybe that's not the thing I want to focus on because it's not like a defining thing with nooks and crannies and edges that really embellishes our design team. So how do you draw that line about what you work on versus don't work on? Yeah, I, I love that you brought this up. So what, where we started was our language isn't the same. So already we are in a semantic area where we've we got to pay attention to language. So I'm, I'm going to be semantic, or I guess pedantic is, is maybe the, more, the, the better way to describe that. Design systems become design system ghost towns and design system graveyards when designers and engineers who are working on the design system build the things that they can build, the things that people can use. But that's never, that was never the original premise of a design system. It's not all the things that people can use, because for that, it would be every element ever available to any designer and engineer. It's what are the things that they need? What are the things that they are going to use right now? And I think that's a, diff- that's a nuance, but I think that's the difference, is everyone could use the button, but do they need help with the button? Maybe not. Like I, I've rarely met a designer or an engineer that's help. I need some other team to build button for me. I can't do it on my own. Like it takes too much time. It, it's not. It uh, very rarely is that a problem to solve. So when design system teams try to tackle the button, they're solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved. It's great. It's a good bonus. But like of all the things that you could help with, that's the one that you pick. And that's why people are like, I'm not gonna. Like you said earlier. 
I don't really trust the rest of the design system because you already made a weird choice there. You already chose to help me with something that I didn't need help with. So I can't, I don't know if I can trust the next thing that you say you're going to help me with. Whereas if you start with this, if you start more with a user need, you go, what is it that people need help with right now? Autocomplete would take somebody six weeks to build. You know, if you took that on for them, if you worked on that before they got there and you helped them with that and they breathe a sigh of relief from that, I think that's a really good, a really great thing. So design systems aren't about what can people use. They're about what do they need help with right now? And a design system team can't help with everything. Like no matter how many people is on the design system team, you're always going to have something that you can't do. So you have to pick, you have to have a priority. You have to say, all right, the, where we can make the most impact right now is 70% of our teams are really having trouble with forms. If we tackled forms, we would really be a big help. Let's say we did the autocomplete example and you gather requirements from five teams and they all have slightly different variations and phenotypes. Is it worth it to boil the ocean, so to speak, and, and, and try to design towards helping all those teams? Or do you look more at like evangelizing with one group to then effectively knowledge share? Is it a mix of both? Uh, I don't think it's worth boiling the ocean. I think it's worth averaging the ocean, though, right? There are things that, you, like, I'm not an oceanographer, and I don't, know, I don't know if you are or not. I imagine you're not an oceanographer. But there are things that we know about the ocean. We don't know everything about the ocean, right? Like, some parts are deep and some parts are shallow. So is the ocean deep or shallow? It's both. We don't know. We can't tell. I can tell you the ocean's wet, though, because all of the ocean's wet. So one of the things that I, I'm writing a book about design systems, and one of the things that I've written in my book is this chart that basically says all most some few. And you can categorize any component that, or any audit of components that way. So the next step in, in this process is, okay, if you're going to help people with autocomplete, take an inventory of all of the autocompletes that are out there right now. And what do all of them have in common? What do most of them have in common? What do some of them have in common? And what do few of them have in common? If all of the autocompletes have a border around them, you sh your new one should probably have a border around them. If some of the autocompletes have the ability to add an icon, then maybe that's an optional prop that you could pass in. If a few of them have a blue glow around them, maybe that's a thing that you leave out because few. So I, I find this like almost some few chart very helpful in assessing what does your new autocomplete need to do? Because if you make a, a completely new one from scratch, well, you're just adding to the mix. There's this great like XKCD cartoon uh, or comic strip about there were 14 competing standards and you're like, we need to merge them into one. And then eventually it just becomes 15 competing standards, right? Because you just <laughs> yeah. added one to the mix. So you're not trying to make the new standard. You're actually trying to average the standards. You're trying to say, here's what all of the good ones do. Here's what some of the good ones do, so we'll make some things optional. And here's what none of the good ones do, or none of them do, so we're actually going to leave that thing out. So you're trying to basically collect all of them into one. You're trying to combine all of them. You're not trying to create a new standard because you'll have the same problem. You'll have the, the same problem trying to get somebody to adopt the 15th standard as opposed to the 14th standard. And that's, that's not helpful for anyone either. Let's say we have the standard now, Dan. And we're, we want to evangelize this. We want people to use our autocomplete. How do you document? How do you share? And how do you collect feedback once this V1 suggestion maybe hits the floor? Yeah, so design systems are tools for scale. In order to scale a thing, first you have to know that the solution works. So you do a thing not at scale, and then you scale it. And I think a lot of people, a lot of design system teams combine those things. I like keeping them separate. So what I would do is when I'm working on autocomplete, I want to have 
two or three or five beta testers on product teams or feature teams that are willing to go back and forth with me for a little while. When I've made this new average autocomplete that brings in all the best stuff and leaves out all the the not best stuff and then has a couple of optional things, then I give it to people as soon as I can. And I go, could you try this? Could you see if it works for you? It's a, again, product design 101. You talk to your users, you make a thing really quickly, and then you usability test it. You build, measure, learn. Right? You build a thing, you give it to somebody, you measure how, how it works, you learn from that, you build a new thing. So that build, measure, learn cycle you can use if you think about a design system as a product, it makes sense. Because what you're doing is you're giving a user a feature and you're, saying, and you're watching them use it. And it might be amazing for them, or it might be awful for them, or somewhere in between. And then you iterate, and then you make changes to that. I like the beta testing version, where I have two or three people that use it. And if they say, ah, this is really great, this is useful for me, then you take those three teams and you scale it to six teams. If six other teams could use it. And if those six other teams could use it, could another 18 teams use it, right? And you march up to the scale. But if it doesn't work with one person or one team, it's not going to work with 100 teams. So I like to start with one team because already there you'll get good feedback. If you if you give it to some person, they're like, it was just it would have been better for me to just build this from scratch. It was so much harder to use yours. Great, that's good learning. Don't try to scale that because if you scale that, you scale a massive problem. You have just 100x that problem. Whereas if it's something that's good, then you 100x a solution. A lot of times before you scale, see if it works with a handful of people. And again, in a design system context, that might be like, oh, that's a new revelation. In a product design context, that not that just how we do it? It should be, right? <laughs> I think it's really interesting when you highlight the problem this can become at scale. If you set forth a bad rhythm and teach everybody the bad rhythm, you, you end up in a bad spot. It reminds me of this article I saw on the internet. It was humorous. It was called How to Become a Negative 10x Developer. And all you have to do is figure out how to burn 400 hours of good working time for your company a week. This is, the, this is one way to do it. Yeah, make a bad design system and then have everybody use it at a 100-team scale. And you have a 100x problem. Totally. And this is the kind of thing that dissuades people from having a design system. They go, oh, this, this was really bad for us. And, and I think they throw the baby out with the bathwater a little too often. They go, oh, design systems suck. And it's, well, it's not the design system suck. It's the things that we did with that design system suck. We scaled the wrong things. So design systems are tools for scale, and they scale whatever you put in them, for better or worse. And a lot of times they're for worse because for most people making a design system, it's their first time making a design system. So of course they're going to mess up, and that should be okay. But those problems are magnified now because... 100 teams are working with these or 30 teams are working with these problems as opposed to if you're just working on a feature, your, your mistakes or your, your problems are quarantined to just that feature or to that team. It really baffles me when you think about, I almost feel like UI, UX designer is a, is, has its metadata, metadata misnomered in, in our field because you really need to have a lot of domain expertise to target this in, in, a, in a scalable fashion. You have to think about props. You have to think about maybe even how React works when you're building a component and the type of flags and features that could be on it. Do you feel like there's a disconnect there where people can jump in and make it say, oh, I made a design system, but maybe they're lacking that actual in-the-field knowledge of building an app prior? I used to think that. I, I've since changed my tune in the last couple of years about it. So I used to hold the the opinion that a design system is a software product. That's what it is. So if you're just working in Figma, you're not really working with a design system yet. 
And I think there's merit to, I think there's some merit in that, but I think it discounts what a lot of companies have, right? So I've since changed my tune in that where like some companies, all they have is like a bunch of Figma files. They don't have Storybook. They don't have components. They don't have React components built. They don't, they don't have that stuff. Does that mean they don't have a design system? It doesn't. Even though I used to think so, it means that their system is something different. The way that they get work done, the way that they make digital interfaces is different than if they have a Storybook install or some React components or Angular components or whatever that is. And I'm a bit more uh, inclusive, I think, about that now, or at least I'm, I'm trying to be, in that whatever you've got, that can be your design system. The challenge is, if all you have is in Figma, then an engineer is going to consider it that we don't have a design system because they're not working in Figma all the time. So that becomes, the, the challenge becomes, how do you bridge the gap where you go, oh, we have a very mature design system because as a designer, you work with these 60 files in the library every day. And you're like, we have a robust system, but it doesn't translate to someone else. And so I think in order to bridge that gap, I think that this we talked about this a little bit earlier, people have to lean in a little bit more to the other disciplines. One of the metrics that I track when I work with a team, and I, I don't tell them this, but I track it like privately, is the amount of time from when we start on the design system to the first time that a designer says, well, let me just jump into Storybook and change that myself. Because that's, the t- that's like a signal. It's a leading indicator. I don't, actually, I don't know if it's a leading indicator or a lagging indicator um, of people starting to understand what someone else needs. Right? A, a designer going, if I just had this in Figma, my engineer couldn't work with it. So I need to put it in a place that my engineer could work with it and, and vice versa. An engineer going, if I have all this in Storybook and the only way to edit this is through a JSON file, how is a designer that's never written a line of code, how are they going to work with this? And so I think that builds a lot of empathy for what other folks have to do. And I think that's one of the most challenging and exciting things about design systems is that they're one of the few tools that if done well, everyone on the team can use the same tool. We can't say that about Figma. We can't say that about code editors. We can't say that about write certain writing tools. Like we can't say that about, and, and really the promise of design systems is that they democratize the product design process. But in order to do that, everyone needs to be able to see their part in it. Like I see how my skills allow me to work with that or change that or manipulate that or utilize that. And so I think those are the things that like I'm starting to be a little bit looser about that. And I think that's helpful to me in my understanding of like, all right, it just exposes the, the next step now. If what we have is a PDF, that's our design system, great. What's our next step? Maybe let's start making some Figma files. Maybe let's start writing some code and canonizing some of these things. I think that helps people to lean in a little bit more and, and starts to bridge that gap between all, all of the silos. Having that more general loose definition of a design system definitely makes sense because it is inherently a system. It's a set of contracted rules that you're abiding by. I'm definitely still hearing, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm definitely still hearing there's this there's this industry expertise that is needed, though, to uh, really understand, to know, yes, I'm going to go talk to customers. I understand how to communicate with engineering teams. I understand how to drop requirements. And I understand how to, like, maybe bring that thing from a Figma file into an actually operational, palatable state. Uh, And that's a very heavy cross-discipline role for specifically for the title of like senior UI UX designer. I'm split about it. So in one sense, absolutely. I agree because if you don't know that Figma props translate to React props, if you don't know that Figma flex, Figma auto layout is like Flexbox, but not exactly like, you have to have industry expertise to know that that translation. On the other side of it, though, 
I'm like, I think that people generally understand products and product need and market fit and all that stuff without using those words. Like, I, And I think about, like, do kids understand that? And I've got kids, I've got two daughters. I'm like, I think they understand that if they make lemonade taste bad, no one will buy it from their lemonade stand. Like, so that, that in that way, people want lemonade that's sweeter. What do they need to do? Add sugar. Like, th- those are fundamental product design concepts. The technique of that, they might not know. There might be some education there, right? If their customers are saying, oh, this lemonade's so bitter, a five-year-old might not know that you have to add sugar. A three-year-old might not know you, you have to add sugar. But that's also not a heavy lift to learn. So I think that like there, there definitely is a piece where it, it needs to be technical and it has you have to have expertise there. But I think it also taps into something that's primal is too strong of a word there. But I think something that I think people have as an instinct since they were kids, which is we got to make things that people need, otherwise they're not going to want them. And yes, I need to know a little bit about how to translate that need into something that they can absorb and something that they can implement. And I think that's where the, the technical expertise um, really fits in. And that's where that industry expertise, it gives you a major advantage and all that. If you don't know what NPM is, how can you build a package managed software product? It's going to be really hard if you don't know how to do that. But to your point, I love that you're highlighting this really made sense in this last uh, explainer that you just gave about there's the translation layer here. The technical layer is easily a obtained. Like it's not something super nebulous that you need to have since you were five years old. Like you can go on YouTube, you can learn it. Uh, I think one of the alarming thing, or I don't want to say alarming, but interesting things to me is just like how socially rooted, uh, how, how, yeah, how deeply in social interactions, your skills must be finely tuned in order to lead a good design system team. You really have to be good at talking and then iterating like in your lemonade stand example. I've never seen a design system fail because of a technical reason. I've never seen one fail because there were too many props or too little props or like we didn't do tree shaking properly enough. Like I've, yes, those things are problems that need to be fixed. Things can, can become better or worse because of those kinds of decisions. But I've never seen a design system not take root because of one of those things. It might delay it a little bit. And I have seen design systems fail because people are like, eh, I don't really want to use that. Why not? Because I just I don't really know it and it's going to take me a long time to get up to speed. So I'd rather just build something custom. That's not a technical argument. That's a human, social, evolutionary, self-defense. Like the, a lot of that stuff is just rooted in like survival instincts. And again, I'm a bit more, yeah, it's probably, yeah, I'm a bit more extreme than I mean it, but it's that. It, it is those cultural things, those cultural cues that get design systems adopted or, or not. If you can see yourself using a thing, if you're like, oh, I see how that makes my life easier, then you'll probably use it. If you don't see it, and most times it's not about something technical. Most times, a lot of times it's about ego. A lot of times it's about an engineer or a designer going like, I mean, I could build something better myself. And they do. And then they try. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but they feel like they can. And, and so a lot of times I just see resistance to a design system being like, I just don't feel like it's going to be the thing for me for whatever logical, rational, or illogical, irrational reasons. Uh, And a lot of them tend to be cultural uh, that I've seen. Well, Dan, we're running up on time here. So I know in in your talk, you mentioned that you were working on this guide. And it was, remind me of the name, it was uh, something something in 90 days, right? Design system in 90 days, yeah. Design system in 90 days. 
And you're coming out with a new revision. Is that already out? Yep. I launched the book last year. It was I think June of last year, something like that. It was out for about six or seven months. And I've got a lot of really good feedback from people who have read it and implemented that and, and implemented those some of those steps at work and with their teams. And now I'm like, I just have so many more things that I'm like, okay, I want to add to the workbook. I took it down for a couple of months and I'm working on a, a new revision. Fingers crossed, probably that will debut in September. So about a, a little bit of a, a month away from when we're recording this. It will be a new edition of it. It won't be a new version. Uh, it'll just be a lot of additions and things like that to the previous version, you know, based on what I've heard, heard people who have actually used the, the process. Do you feel like that could be a, a healthy entry point for people that are even starting to want to get into design? for the first time? I think it's a little bit too advanced for that. So part of the reason for that is like, the reason that I, I wrote the workbook in the first place, and I, I wrote it with uh, one of my, my colleagues, Crystal Vitelli, is that what we were hearing from a lot of our clients and people that we had worked with was that like, they understand design systems and they understand design in theory and in, con- like they get all the, all the principles. But, but the question is, so what do I do first? What do I do next? And it was like, and what we were hearing was like, can you just give me the next thing to do? And I was like, well, yeah. So, so in the workbook, it is very pragmatic. There's almost no theory in it at all. So if you're like, if you want to understand why does this thing work and why does it, this is the workbook is not the thing. That's part of the reason that I'm writing a book now also about design systems. Is the book is, has got all the theory and all of the cultural cues and history and all that kind of stuff, the context of design systems and why they work and why this process and why not that process. And the workbook is very tactical. It's very like, it's 52 steps. They are numbered one through 52. After number one, you go here. And it's a little bit of choose your own adventure, but it's a little bit sequential as well. But it's very much for people that are like, I get all the theory. Like, I don't waste my time with that. I don't need more of that. What do I do next? I just did this thing. What do I do next? And it's great. Step number six is what you do. And this is how you do it. And that's going to be in the book. Yep, that's all in the workbook. Different than the workbook. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, all the theory stuff is in the is in the book. The workbook is just the steps. Awesome. Well, and if people wanted to maybe get an intro to design concepts or you know Figma and, and your talks, Dan, I know you have a YouTube channel. And do you post anywhere else? Are you on the Twitter medium? I'm on the everywhere. So I'm on the Twitter as long as you know until that's whatever it is, or you know I refuse to call it anything else yet. Uh, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, TikTok, you know, all of uh, threads. Yeah. So all of the things. Um, the only thing I ask is just people don't email me because I'm so bad at getting, getting uh, back to people over email. But anything else, uh, I'm pretty active on. Uh, the words of a true engineer. Dan, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure talking about design systems and how to bring them to the next level in practice. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay.